All right, take your Bibles with me. Turn to 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5. If you've been with us recently, you know that we, uh, we go through Scripture piece by piece, section by section. We've been going through the book of 1 Timothy. And 1 Timothy, we know, is a, a letter from Paul to his minister Timothy that he's left at the church of Ephesus and the surrounding areas to help them in the church. Think about how the church should run. Think about function inside. Also to challenge them on a personal level, to grow in godliness, to grow to be more like Christ. And so we've been working our way through it. That leaves us this morning in 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 8, titled our message this morning, Caring Like Christ. Caring Like Christ. In the summer of 2008, the St. Petersburg Times in Florida broke a story of a little girl named Danielle. And uh, this little girl, Danielle, she'd been living a life of complete neglect for years. Now, she lived in a house, and one of the neighbors saw some little girl pull a blanket aside, peek her way out, and because of it, they called the authorities. The authorities came over to check on the house and found out that this little girl has been neglected by her mom, single parent, for years, so much so that she was found, when she was found, she was seven years old, but her behavior and her language skills were similar to those of a six-month-old baby. She could not talk, she could not care for herself, she could not use the bathroom, she was starving, she didn't even know how to use food, and when she was given the right amount of food, she would gorge herself until she would puke up that food. She, she could not function. Every area of her development uh, for years was behind what it should be. Seven-year-old girl acting like a six-month-old baby. How could this happen? One word, neglect. Neglect. The parents, the mom, did not spend the time teaching, having conversations, interaction with her, loving her, caring for her. And because of that neglect, she did not grow the way that she was supposed to grow. Now, we look at this story, and it's sad. And I, you, it's, it's very sad that you can, I could have picked multiple stories like this uh, from different news articles uh, of neglect. And it, your heart hurts when you, you think of a child like this. We take this same understanding, and we look at our Christian walk today, and we say that our Christian walk, in the same sense, will go stagnant, will not grow will not become more like Christ the way that God wants it to become like Christ if we're not putting into our life the things that God challenges us with, godliness and purity and all of those different things that we have been studying up to this point. We see that God wants you to grow. It's not enough for him to have you become a child of his, have Christ as your Savior, and then say, oh, well, that's it. That's, that's all I got to do. I just... Yeah, he's my savior. That's it. Now, a true relationship with Christ goes putting into action the things that God teaches you, and you become mature, and you grow, and you no longer need the milk of the word because God is helping you see and understand and put those things into action. That's what he wants for you. He wants maturity. We do it. We stay away from neglecting the things that God has called us to do. In our passage this morning, we're going to see that uh, Paul is challenging Timothy to care for others 
in the way that God cares for others. That's the thing today that we're going to focus on that God wants you to not neglect. He doesn't want you to just care about yourself, to be selfish and whatever you know, is going to get me on top or get me where I want to go. That's all I'm concerned about. Now, God says, I want you to care for the other people in the world like I have cared for you. He's saying, look to me, look to my son Jesus, because that's how I want you to act, and that's how I want you to love other people that are around you. We know the golden rule Jesus himself gave us. What's the most important thing? Love God first and foremost. Love others uh, as yourself and above yourself. And that's what Jesus did in his example. Care for other people. We're going to see it in 1 Timothy uh, 5, verses 1 through 8. So let's turn over there. Let's read it together. And then we'll break it apart and see what Paul is teaching us this morning. Verse 1 says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Verse 3, Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Verse 7. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, be with us this morning as we look into your word, as we are challenged by the words of this text to care for other people. It is so easy for us to care for number one, care for ourselves. Help us, Lord, to put ourselves off, to love you and to love others the way this text reminds us. Be with us as we look through your words today. In Jesus' name, amen. What we find in the text is first and foremost, God cares about how you treat others. And you should too. God cares about how you treat others, and you should have that same care. It should not be that they're just people that are around you, that you use to get on top, that you only care for them if it makes sense for you. Now, that's not how, that's not how God views us. That's not why he sent Jesus for you. Now, each and every one of us were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God sent his son Jesus Christ for you and for me. Was it because we were so good that he came? No, no, it wasn't. It was for his grace and mercy and his glory to be shown, and he did it while we were in our sins. God wants us to look around at the people that are around us and have a loving care for them, a concern for them, that not just that I I think briefly about them, but I, I use what God has given me to even minister to them. That's what Jesus calls us to do. And as Paul is addressing Timothy, remember this is a letter from Paul to Timothy, he's going to these churches in Ephesus, and it seems like these churches have been failing at this task of caring for one another. And they're only concerned about, number one, themselves. And the way that they're interacting with each other is proving that they really don't care for each other. And so what Paul starts out with in verses 1 and 2 is a a general instruction on how to act between other people that are all around you. And he talks, Paul talks to Timothy, look at verse 1 and 2, and it says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, 
younger women as sisters in all purity. He's saying, Timothy, you're going to come in contact with all types of different people, but keep godliness in your interactions, in your relationships. Try to please God even with how you talk and how you interact with people. And so he starts, and as we see that God cares about how we treat other people, we're going to find in the text three different cares and concerns that we want to be aware of this morning. And that's verses 1 and 2 bring us the first care. Care number one, care about your interactions with others. Care about your interactions with others. You definitely have heard the phrase, either in a movie or someone that you've come in contact with, where someone says, oh, well, your reputation precedes you. Now, that can mean one of two things. That can mean the way that you have treated people or interacted with people in the past, I've heard about, and I've made a note in my mind that you are someone to be lifted up, praised, honored. Hey, I'm glad, I'm excited to meet you. The other option of that is, oh, your reputation precedes you. Hey, the way that you've talked to people, the way you've interacted with people, I know, hey, I've got to put my guard up. I, gotta, I don't know how you're going to respond to what's going on around you. Now, the question for us today is, how does your reputation as a Christian precede you with the people that are around you? If I was to go to your work, if I was to go to your home and ask your spouse or your children or your grandchildren, hey, how, how would you describe mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, coworker? Yeah, would it be a Christ-like description, one that's kind, gentle, patient, you know, helpful in times of even stress? Or would it be, oh, they really need me to do what they want me to do, and if I, if I, if I get out of line at all, you know, they're going to put the hammer down on me. Yeah. What is it, how does your, rep- your reputation precede you as a Christian? As we get to this text, Paul is challenging Timothy Timothy, you're going to come in contact with all different types of people at different times. Be godly in the way that you are with them. He starts, he gives us these different categories of people. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. We remember, we've talked about Timothy right now. He's probably 35 to 40 years old. And in the time of first century Christianity and Greek culture, that is young. He's a young individual. But Paul is giving him a big task to go, teach, preach, exhort even at times elders that are in the church. And he's telling them it's not important just what you tell them is the truth, but it's also important how you interact with them. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. This idea of rebuke, he's not saying there's not a time that should ever come that you tell the truth to someone who is older than you. That's not what he's talking about with Timothy. We know because we could go up Chapter 2 and multiple times, he says, teach, rebuke, exhort. And he's talking about all the people that are in the church. So he's not giving that description of don't rebuke an older man. But this word rebuke, if you look at it in the Greek, it actually has an understanding of being harsh in your speaking or in your interactions. So he's saying, think through it before you talk with individuals and make sure that the way that you're interacting is patient, kind, gentle. And he gives a description but encourage him as you would a father. In each of these categories, we're going to look at older men, younger men, older women, and younger women. He always compares them back to a family relationship, an earthly family relationship. And there's a much different way that you interact with your family. Because you know that you're going to always have that relationship with you. If it's a father and you have an argument or a fight, it's not someone you can just write off. 
you're going to have that interaction again. So you're trying to uh, keep the relationship intact while telling the truth in a gentle uh, way. That's what it looks like to be godly. So he says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. How do you interact with your father? Hopefully, it's in love. It's in care and concern for his situation. You're trying to be helpful, not stick a knife in a wound and twist it. You're, you're trying to be helpful with what you're doing in that situation. He says, Timothy, do that with even those who are older than you and you come in contact with. Tell them the truth, but speak the truth in love. We see that throughout Scripture as well. The way that we do things with people, God is concerned about. Speak the truth in love. He goes on from older man, and he says, treat also younger men as brothers. Younger men as brothers. Now, the, the temptation that he would have when he comes in contact with younger men is, oh, they don't uh, reach up to my level of maturity. You know, and what they say, I don't have to listen to because they're just younger than me. And we, we can have some of those thoughts too. Like, he's not worth my time. It's just, he's, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about yet. But what Paul is telling Timothy is treat younger men as brothers, as an equal, as someone that you want to help and not that you're superior to, okay? That's younger men. He goes on to older women as well. And he says, treat older women as mothers. Older women as mothers. Now, <clears throat> the congregation, no doubt, would have widows and older women in their congregation. And some of the temptation would be to think they are less important than the other individuals in the church. Women, we know, at the time, were not allowed to be educated and if they were widows or older at the time, they would not have a job, per se. Their job as women were mostly to take care of the home. And you'd be tempted to think that they're not worth my time as much, they're not as important. But you see what Timothy says, or excuse me, Paul says to Timothy, say, he says, treat these women, older women, as mothers. That completely changes the understanding of a person in your mind. Going from some person that is just out there, that is not connected to me, to now thinking, I have to treat them like I would treat my own mother. Now, we want what's best for our moms, right? Most of the times, that they reared us, they loved us. We ran to them when we had a scraped knee and needed a Band-Aid. If my kids run to me, I'm like, ah, you're fine. You don't need a Band-Aid, right? But mom is the one that cared for them in that specific way. Treat those in your church like they're your mother. He goes on to the last description. He says, also treat younger women as sisters in all purity. Those who are of equal level or age level to Timothy or younger, his specific interaction with them should be with all purity. Not having in his mind any inclination of thinking of them in the wrong way, of, of flirting, of acting like they're something that he can get something from that he doesn't get other places, with all purity. So he starts these first two verses with how we interact with one another and challenges us to interact in that way. When we just hear it taught, it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. But let me give you some illustrative comments that will kind of help show what Paul is teaching. Now, what if you heard someone say to you, well, I just tell it how it is. Can't get mad at me for that. I just tell the truth, right? In a sense, you're thinking, what, what is a person saying when he's, he's saying that? He's saying, I, I just tell the truth. There's nothing wrong with me telling the truth. But it, that's a half-truth, right? 
we want to tell the truth to someone, but how we do it is important to God as well. You know, saying that and believing that, what that's saying is, I tell the truth bluntly and I don't care about how I hurt people's feelings or how they're going to take that. We have to take all those into consideration and we want to love before we interact with people. What if someone came to you and they said, well, can you believe that young kid? He thinks he's such a little know-it-all. I'm not wasting my time talking to him anymore. Again, this is exactly what Paul is training Timothy. He's saying, don't have an arrogant attitude thinking you're better and other people that you don't consider are at your level are worth your time. That's not the case. That's a, that's a prideful, arrogant attitude towards others. What if someone came to you and said, well, she's just old and senile. I wouldn't believe two words she says. Well, what is that showing? That's showing disrespect and an unloving attitude, again, to those that you think and shows that you think are less than you. I mean, these are correlating directly to how Paul is teaching Timothy throughout this text. And maybe some of these aren't things you've heard or you would say, but maybe in your mind, at times, you've had these considerations. One more consideration. Think of this conversation between two married men. And one says, well, I don't talk to her much, but I'd sure like to, if you know what I mean. Well, what is that proving? It's, it's proving impure, improper thoughts against someone or towards someone who's not your wife. And we have to be on guard against these thoughts. And we have to interact in a godly way, the way that God has showed us and teaches us through Paul. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which was yours in Christ Jesus. In all of our interactions, we're considering other people. How do I love them? How do I be gentle with them? How do I bring them along, even when it's a hard truth that has to be talked about or told? you're, You're thinking about them. This is what Jesus did. He considered us, and he sent his son, God sent his son, and Jesus came because he considered you. So you need to show that to others and consider them. Matthew 5, 43 says this. <clears throat> Have you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and your enemy, but I say to you, this is Jesus talking, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You shall love your neighbor and hate your... The world thinks that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, flip that on its head. You've got to care about everyone who's around you as more important than you. That's what Jesus did. And as we have those interactions, we keep that thought in the forefront of our mind. If I'm going to love like Christ. I've got to see what he did for me, then treat others that same way. That's going to guide us in how we interact with others. Care about how you interact with others. That brings us to the second area that we see in the text. Care for those who are in need. Care for those who are in need. Verse number three starts us on this conversation about widows. It says this, Honor widows 
who are truly widows. Now, the term widow here is a term that in our uh, American minds, modern American minds, we think as someone who has lost their spouse, a woman who has lost their spouse, he has died, and she does not have him anymore. Now, that does include, that is included in this description of widows in our text, but in our text in first century Christianity, it's actually expanded. And the understanding of a widow here is someone who is in need. That as you look at all of the situations that she's in, she has no way to provide for herself. And because she does not have a way to provide for herself, the church and individuals in the church should constantly be thinking about how can we care for this people group, for those who are in need. So as they're talking about widows, we can almost exchange that for the idea of those who are in dire need of help. Honor widows who are truly widows. Now, last week, my boy Benton, he was climbing a tree. He slipped, uh, one of the branches fell off, and uh, he fell 15 or so feet, ended up breaking his arm, okay? And as he broke his arm, <laughs> he raises it up there. So everyone see, right there. <laughs> as he broke his arm, we were in the garage, and the other kids came running, Dad, Mom, Benton's arm, it looks, something's wrong with it. So as we get to the driveway and we're walking, he's still probably 30 feet away. I see him, his hands, like, laying down like this, but his arm is completely broken, almost 90 degrees. <clears throat> I got a picture here. No, I'll just show it on the screen. I'm, I'm just kidding. I, I won't. <clears throat> but it was pretty, oh, even to see it as you came up to the situation, you were like, Okay, don't, don't look at the arm. Oh, all right, that's broken. Let's get in the car. We got to go the, to the doctor, the hospital. Uh, it was that scenario. Now, imagine, as a parent, you get that, hey, Benton's really hurt. You see it at a distance. You can tell he, he has a problem. He really needs help. But if I just turned away and said, oh, no, he'll, he'll get better. Hopefully, he just gets better himself. I mean, that seems ridiculous for us to, cons- to even think about. And-, and Paul is challenging Timothy to say, hey, there are people in your midst who are really in need. And when they are, we as Christians, we are there to help them in their need. And this, is a <clears throat> this topic of widows is one that we see throughout Scripture. And in the first century, it's one of the first ministries of the church that is actually set up. We could turn to Acts 6 and look at it. Because those who are widows, they are in need, and they have nobody else to turn to. And so we are given that instruction of truly look, for, look out for those who need help, and we can help them. And how do we do it? And we come up with those, those thoughts of how to do it. <clears throat> Verse 3 again says, honor, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. We're going to get to verse 4 in just a minute. But verse 5 is what we want to look at next. It says, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers. So the first thing we see that he says is, Honor those who are truly widows. And this term honor in verse 3 means actually put feet to your thought process on their need. That means do things that is actually going to help them. Honoring them is not just thinking of them in a high position. It's thinking of them in a high position so that when we see them in need, we care for them. We love them. 
we want to do what, what is going to help them. That's this idea of honor. Honor widows who are truly widows. That means give special attention and care for those who are truly widows. One, one passage that reminds us of this is Luke 7. Let's flip over to Luke 7. We're going to look at verses 11 through 17. <clears throat> We have a story where Jesus comes in contact with a widow and he, he, he takes time, he stops to, to put effort into caring for this widow. Luke 7, verse 11 through 17 says this, <clears throat> Soon after, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So, only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched uh, the coffin, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen amongst us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So what do we have? We have Jesus coming into this town, and as he's coming into town, a procession of a funeral was, was coming out. And they had a man in a coffin, and as Jesus looked, he saw a widow. It gives us a little description of this widow, that her son died, the man who was in the coffin, was the woman's son. And, she didn't, and, and her husband had already died. And so that left her with nobody that could take care of her. And like I said, women back then, they, they didn't work. Their, their job was in the home. And, so, and, and as they got older, your family would care for you. She had no son. She had no husband. She had no means to take care of her. Jesus felt compassion for her. He, he came alongside of her and said, don't weep. I'm going to care for you. And the way that he did it, he didn't give her money, riches. He didn't give her a house. He said, I'm going to bring your son back to life, and he's going to care for you. And that's exactly what he did. We need to take the same example. See, we see Jesus caring for people who cannot care for themselves. We need to care for people who cannot care for themselves. What could caring for those in our situations look like? What could caring for those in need look like? Maybe for us, it looks like financial support. We, and this is the first thing that comes to our mind is we look for people who are in need and one of the easiest things for us to do is actually give them money. And sometimes that's what they need. Sometimes it's more than just financial support that they need. I mean, that's a good thing and if we can do that, that's, that's wonderful. Um, but what else could we do? How about this? Prayer support. Prayer support. We see those who are hurting and in need we put them on our prayer list and we really commit to mind that I want to pray for this individual, for God to help them, for me to understand their situation so that I can help them more. Prayer is such a big thing that I think we neglect um, so many times that we have to remember one way that we can care for people is to truly commit to praying for them. Financial support, prayer support. Another one we can do is have logistical support for them. I mean, think of it, as a person is getting older and maybe they don't have a spouse anymore, they have to go through all kinds of different things and they're doing it alone. 
Maybe there's paperwork that they need to fill out. And you could say, hey, can I come over and help you just look through that so we, I, I can help you do that? Maybe there's doctor visits that they have to organize, put on their calendar, and you could help them in that way. Maybe there's giving them rides, either to get groceries or this or that. I mean, those are all, all things that we can try to think through and logistically help those who are in need. Another one is technology support. Uh, I know, I'm at an age, I'm, I'm close to 40, and even now, if I need help with technology, I, I could probably ask one of my kids, and they could do a better job at it. Could you imagine if you're retired, you have nobody to, su- to support you in any area, and you have to get on the internet and figure out how to write an email or get on whatever you need to get on? Something we could do is think through those things and say, how can I help you in those areas? Um, in today's age, this topic or this idea of a widow, I told you, is expanded. It, it's those who are in need. And with today's age, having divorce be so prevalent and husbands or boyfriends who leave the scenario, we have a lot of people in this category that come through our doors that technically would be described as widows. They're single moms. They're people who don't have means to help in all these types of different areas. And there's other logistics we can help in those situations as well. Maybe it could be babysitting. Maybe it could be helping them out with whatever you know that they really need help with. Uh, they're trying to work a job. Hey, can I watch your kids specifically each week this, this amount of time so you can get to your job? I mean, we got to be thinking as a church family and as individuals, how can we care for those who are in these situations? We need to give special attention and care for those who are truly in need. But in verses uh, in verse, where am I, 5 and 6, we see a, another description of these widows. It says, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. So, we have the individual idea of how we can care for people. But as Paul is instructing Timothy, he's saying, as you instruct the churches, here is what the church needs to focus on as well. Caring for these widows, and I'm going to give you the specific widows that you need to care for. That's what Paul is telling to Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, the ones that the church really takes special interest and care for are those who are truly committed to God. We see in them an, a love for God that starts with salvation. It says in verse 5, she who is truly a widow, she's in need, she doesn't have anybody else, she's left all alone. Then he says, and she has set her hope on God. She has a salvation testimony. She knows who Jesus Christ is. She knows what her future holds, but the here and now is very difficult for her because she, she doesn't have the need or the, the resources that she needs. She has her hope set on God. And then it says, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. She's one that not just has a, yeah, yeah, I, I accepted Christ as my Savior at one point. She continues to follow and serve God in prayers and, and asking God, knowing God's going to provide for her. She has a, a testimony as a servant of Christ. But she is in need. She needs help. What Paul is saying is, Timothy, these are the ones the church comes around specifically. He's not saying that the church can't help other people outside of that, but they have a specific uh, idea to help that individual who is a Christian, who is a believer, who is wanting to follow God, but who is in need. We as a church need to come around that person as much as we can. We do that in one specific way. 
we have a benevolence fund here. And each and every month, we as deacons, we talk through, hey, do you know of anybody we can help financially or in any other area that we can really help? And we have that conversation. But you know, the deacons and I are not all-knowing. And so if, if there are instances where you have heard of somebody and you know something is, someone is in need, come and talk to one of the deacons. Come and talk to us. Because we want to take those steps to help people if we can as a church. So that is something you can do as well. <clears throat> 1 John three sixteen through 18 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, uh, or talk but in deed and in truth. What's he saying? He's saying that if we love God, it's going to come out in our actions. And it's going to come out in our relationships and how we treat the people who are around us. We're going to care for those who are in need. <clears throat> that brings us to our third area for godly care and consideration. Number three, care for those in your earthly family. Care for those in your earthly family. Inside this text, yes, it tells us as individuals and as a church to care for widows, those who are in need, but also it gives instructions to family members to say, care for your family, love your family, go outside of your own personal wants and desires and needs to think about those who are in your family and how you can care for them. Verse 3, well, excuse me, verse 4, it says, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So if a widow, someone who has lost their spouse, if she has children or grandchildren, she has somebody who's going to care for them and should be caring for them, the church is supposed to ask that family member or talk to that family member because they should be the ones that are taking on that responsibility to care and love uh, the widow that is in need. If a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first uh, learn to show godliness to their own household. And here's the thing, as you care for your elderly parents or for your family members that are around you, you know what you're doing? The text tells us that you're showing godliness to all of those that are around you. It says that show godliness to their own household. And then it also says to make some return to their parents. You know what that means is that without your parents, you would not be here. Without the years of them caring for you, changing your diapers, helping you grow up, talking with you about important life decisions, where you should go to college, what you should do next in life, you would be in a much different place than where you're at. And when you get to the, the, the position where your parents are now, the, the shoe is on the other foot, and they're older in life, and they, they need your help, in your responsibility, it should not be an inconvenience for us to put time and effort to care for them. And it actually shows godliness, caring for your own family. That's what God does for us. He cares for his own family. <clears throat> Let them first to learn to show godliness to their own families and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. This is pleasing in the sight of God. Now let's make this personal for us. How do you feel? When that call comes in and your parents need your help, right? I mean, hey, can you help me this weekend? We got this project. We got to do this. I know it's a little bit of a drive for you to get here, but 
it would really be great if you could come. I mean, how do you feel? You feel, oh, I, I don't know if I can do it. How about this question, too? How do you feel when that call comes in that your spouse's parents need help? All right? Do you know that when you uh, join together as a husband and wife, you're taking on even another family member and you're committing to care, uh, to care and concern for her parents as well or his parents as well? And how about as a spouse, are you neglecting your responsibility and you, making it difficult for your spouse to care for your parents? I mean, all those things are good and important things for us to think through. When those calls come in, in your mind, does your mind go to annoyance? Like, I don't have time for this. You know, I'm, I'm glad uh, I have something going on, right? Oh, I can look at my calendar. Oh, great, I got this going on, so I don't have to go help my parents. Or, uh, you know what, I helped them last time, so I'll, just, I'll let my siblings take this one on. Yeah. Those are all thoughts that go through our mind that really point to, I'm annoyed that I've got this, this thing going on, I have to help my parents, okay? Or, instead of annoyance, does your mind go to helpful gratitude? You, you want to care for them because you honor them and you want to be there for them. Does your mind go to, how can I help you know, what needs to be done that I can do? I have the abilities. I got the time. I can do it. How about this? Let me move my schedule around so that I can be there and, and help you out with whatever you need. This is what he's talking about when he's saying, care for your parents. Care for your family. I mean, do what you can to be there because it shows godliness. Look down at verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household... He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Oh, that, let that sink in for a second. I mean, that sounds like a very upfront, in-your-face and difficult thing to hear if you're not willing to care for your own family. But if anyone does not provide for his, his relatives and especially members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. doesn't mean that he doesn't trust in Christ. He's saying that the principles behind the faith, which is loving and caring for those who cannot care for themselves, that's, that's, that's the, the message behind the gospel. It's that we could not care for ourselves because we were sinners. We were lost in sin. We had no way to care for ourselves. And you know what God did? He sent Jesus to provide for us. He provides salvation. And he provided a way to be with God. Saying the same thing here. He's denied the faith because the way that he's acting is as, as a selfish uh, kid that's it's only about what he can get, not giving himself. He says he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The unbelievers at the time that this was written, even you know, Roman and uh, Greek people at the time, they cared for their family members. And so if, if you had Christians who were not willing to care for your family members, you're, you're saying... I'm, I'm way different than even the world. The world is better off than me. This is a very clear message for us. Care for those who are around you. Care for your family members. Care for how your interactions are with other people. This is so important to Jesus to care for his own family members that we see this coming out even while he was on the cross. If in your mind, you can remember back to the different sayings and interactions he had from the cross. Two come out to my mind. One, he's having an interaction with the guy on the, the cross next to him, criminal. And remember, he says, today you're going to be with me in heaven. Now, the other interaction that he has with a person, he looks down, and at the foot of the cross, he sees his mother, 
Mary, and he sees John. And here, let's read what it says, John 19, 25. It says, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of uh, Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her uh, to his own home. Now, Jesus is dying. He's taking his last breaths. He's uh, paying for the sins of the world. All of that is, is on him at this moment. But he looks down to his earthly family, his mother, who's going to be a widow without her oldest son, who is supposed to be, and he, Jesus has taken care of her up to this point. He looks down and he says, John, John, this is my mother. Now you take care of her. You be to her as the, the, the oldest son. And it's showing he cares for his own family, even while he was on the cross, and he cares for his family still as he looks at us. He provided that salvation for us. God cares about how you treat others, and so should you. We've looked at today all these different areas. Care about your interactions with others, care for those who are in need, and care for your earthly families till the end. James 1.27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. True religion Truly following after Christ as a Christian to be like him is caring for those in need, orphans and widows, those in need. Are you doing that today? Show your love of God by showing a love for others. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your care for us. You provided salvation for us when we were lost and without a way to even get to you. You provided your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Help us not to take that lightly. Help us to have a heart of gratitude, as we talked about in Sunday school this morning. Help that gratitude, Lord, to turn to other people and show care and concern for them and to reach out and to help when we can. God, uh, give us just the, the knowledge of those who are in need so that we as a church can help those. Thank you for our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.